Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Aaron O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. On today's episode of Sanseet, we've got Aurora Walks Gently. She has been practicing spirituality and holistic for a long time. Her website is um, springtime.com. Hello and welcome to the show, Aurora. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. And actually, my website is spiritsongp&s.com, as in products and services. Okay, excellent. Um, How did you get into all this? Probably the same way we all do. Um, I was guided without knowing I was being guided. Um, My healing journey kind of started when my uh, boss in the defense industry, um, I was a senior systems analyst, and he handed me the card to his therapist, said, go see her before you blow a gasket. Um, and so I did, and then I gradually was guided to other things, massage, acupuncture, etc., and got involved with healing work, and uh, initially Reiki. I've been a Reiki master since 1998, um, and it has all been a process of awakening and opening to who I am, which is far more than I was raised to be. Um, that's perhaps the short story. Uh, in, in 2002, I knew I was leaving. At that point, I was uh, working for a nonprofit in Maine around the uh, environmental ocean topics. And I knew I was moving. I thought I was moving up the coast of Maine. And then I was guided to move to Virginia, which at that point in time, I knew that what was missing was a spiritual practice. And lo and behold, within a year, I was guided to connect with a woman who uh, taught, well, who practiced ceremonial pipe and facilitated sweat lodge in Sun Bear's tradition. And that resonated with me, and I eventually trained in that. So that's sort of the, the spiritual backdrop, although I draw from many other traditions as well. And other traditions do you draw from? Um really anything that resonates with me. Um, and before I moved to Virginia, I did a lot of um, women's spirituality. There was a wonderful group up there that had been meeting for 20-odd years. And we would do ceremony from whatever tradition we each drew upon, a lot of um, quote-unquote pagan, some uh, Judeo-Christian, so a wide variety of things, because I see it all as the same energies just perceived differently through us. Right. And when the, the boss from the, the defense asked you to go and see a therapist, what, went, what ran through your mind? I knew that I had um, a lot of things sort of bottled up. I mean, I grew up um, in a family where dealing with our emotional stuff was not, we didn't have the tools. Um, and so I grew up in a lot of judgment, 
you know, we were supposed to be right and we were supposed to let everybody know that we were right. Um, and as I was working in the, uh, I was in the computer field, computer-aided manufacturing and design, so I was working with a lot of men and growing up in a male-dominated household, I had all of those issues up for me. And um, it was time and I recognized it, I recognized it as time. It didn't mean it was easy because, you know, in our heritage, you didn't share what had gone on in the family outside of the family. And that's very common, I think. So it was um, really a gift that he kind of pushed me toward that end. And, you know, it was fascinating. I look back and this was a very traditional, medically oriented therapist. Um, she was an RN and not a lot of what I would call warm fuzzy to her. And yet at that point in time, I couldn't have received that. So, uh, you know, as I later developed relationships with other therapists, it was a much different situation. So we could get to different places. Um, with the understanding of energy now and going through this this build up to it, did you feel like that um, each person you were doing was slightly opening up to your final gift that you do today? Absolutely. Um, everything, you know, when I look back at the experiences I've had in my life um, and the people I've chosen to work with, it has been um, totally guided. I mean, it's when I was just starting to do Reiki, I had somebody, an intuitive, tell me that um, I really need to be doing shamanic work. At which point I'm like, Reiki's fine. We don't need to go there. And yet eventually I did. And I learned that whenever I resist something, the harder I resist it, the more I need to go there. And did you, did you feel that you were pushed out of your boundaries every time that someone would say, you need to do this? I felt like it was a stretch. And I learned to take a deep breath and really tune in and listen to it. Um, that took me a while to get there, of course. Um, but I recognized usually it was someone I valued who uh, was sharing that information with me, someone whose intuition I valued. And with um, tuning in, was that intuitionally or getting advice from people higher up in like angels or the divine or whatever? Wow, that's, you know, some of this is difficult to describe because we all do it differently. For myself, um, particularly since I became on my spiritual path with praying with my pipe, for example, I will go out and pray with a specific topic sometimes and see what comes. Sometimes I'll just take a deep breath and tune in and, and kind of do a, is this right for me? Um, and see, you know, usually I get the, the advanced notice that, okay, this is a direction you might want to look at, and then the opportunities to do just that will come. Um, so it's definitely a combination. These days I will do um, kinesiology, muscle testing, or work with a pendulum in addition to my own direct uh, communication with spirit. You mentioned the pipe. How does that work? The... Tobacco is a binding herb, so the, the intention with the, spiritual, the ceremonial pipe is that as we smoke the pipe, our prayers, you know, every puff of smoke we send prayers on and they're carried to Creator. That's the basics of the tradition. Um, 
I've been an avid anti-smoker since I was a kid. My dad smoked a lot, and I was very sensitive to it. So, you know, I still scratch my head why I'm a ceremonial pipe carrier. However, I can tell you that when I am holding that pipe, it is very grounding. And for me, meditation has been difficult because my mind wants to go everywhere. With the ceremonial pipe, I have the pipe and the fire to tend to, you know, in terms of keeping the the pipe burning, the tobacco burning. So it really worked well for me. And spiritually, I've always felt drawn to Native American and Aboriginal um, practices and philosophies. So I think it was natural for me to step into that. When you say puff a smoke, it's an answer to a prayer. Are those prayers saying internally while you're smoking the tobaccos? It depends on the particular pipe ceremony that we're doing. Um, the basic ceremony that we're first taught on Sunbear's path, we speak our prayers we, before the pipe is lit. So we call it loading the pipe with our prayers, or that's what I call it. So if I'm facilitating a group ceremony, for example, we will pass the pipe so everybody can, can speak their prayers if it's a small gathering. And then when we, once the pipe is lit, as we're puffing the tobacco smoke, we're continuing to quietly send prayers to bind with that smoke and go to Creator. I wonder with the tobacco and the pipe being so, and the fire being so earth and grounding and you don't like meditating, is that kind of grind, ground, grounding you back to the earth to be able to receive the message from the higher planes? Um, I would say yes to a degree. I will also say that some of my strongest journeys have been while I was praying with the pipe. I can um, certainly, you know, that's one of the times when I channel most easily. If they've got a specific message they want to bring to the group, then I can really open up far more easily when I'm already in that spiritual space. Why do you associate with Native Americans and Aboriginals? always felt more natural to me. I've always been um, strongly connected to the land. I grew up in a rural area. I grew up on um, both a small farm where we had a little bit of all in, of quite a number of animals and also on a production dairy farm, but still very connected with the land. Um, my family did a lot of fishing and hunting. Um, that was oftentimes one of the ways that we would do activities together was to go fishing uh, on a lake. I would also, it was, a, it was a safe way, an acceptable way for me to be by myself was to go fishing, um, which I might not, might or might not catch any fish, but I was out in nature and, and that was what was important to me. Um, I work very strongly and once I tune into my older memories, I'm very aware that as a child, I was very active with the devas and nature spirits uh, of the land where I lived. And part of my journey has been reawakening to that. For those who believe in past lives, I've also glimpsed times when I was Native American. There's a possibility that I have some of that in my biological heritage as well. Being surrounded in, in nature at a young age and probably today as well, what is your association with plants? Oh, plants are amazing beings. Uh, you know, one of my volunteer aspects is I've gone through the 
uh, Master Gardener program, which is offered through the Cooperative Extension here. I believe you have a similar program um, in Europe as well, where we receive the training according to the university's acceptable procedures, etc. And yet, um, when I garden professionally, which I do, that's part of my professional work, it's about listening to the plants. And uh, I'm very lucky I have a gardening partner. And what we do is the first thing we do when we come to a site is to walk the land and listen to the plants. And it's, it's part a visual observation and part an energetic observation and a communication. Um, I will often open a coning with the uh, deva of the land and the nature spirits and our higher selves so that we can really tune in and listen to what's going to create the greatest harmony and balance. Because nature, that's what nature does. And then we humans often come with the attitude of dominion over and what we desire in physicality rather than what's going to bring the greatest harmony and balance for all. When you listen to the plants, do they speak like the way we do or how do they uh, communicate with you? I would say that they translate. Um, my sense, I mean, our first language is energy anyway. We humans have gotten very attached to the, you know, whatever language we were raised with. And particularly in my culture, I think that's even more strong than in many. Um, sometimes I will get impressions. Frequently I will be able to translate it into words I understand, like, you know, okay, this is where this plant wants to be planted if we're doing transplanting or, um, you know, this plant is planted in a place where it doesn't desire to be. It would be happier over here. Or it's time to pick off some of the baby peaches because the tree can't sustain it. So it's sometimes it's just an awareness that draws on my intellectual understanding and experience. And sometimes it is more direct. Um, usually when I get that, it's when I really take the time to um, tune in and consciously attempt direct communication with the plant. And is this done before you um, enter the, the plot of land, or is this happening while you're walking the land? Usually while we're walking the land, um, or if I'm taking, you know, on my own time when I am wanting to do a meditation or work with a, a particular plant. Part of the tools that I bring in my gardening practice is also to offer energy through me for the plants to draw energy through me as they need. That's very helpful when transplanting, for example, to help them get reestablished. Transplanting, like planting from one area to, to the next and back forwards? Yes. Yes, there is um, frequently, you know, these are gardens that have been established for quite some time. Um, what often happens when people do the initial garden design and planting is that they want to fill up space. So plants are close, planted closer than they will grow into. Um, so for example, we have, my gardening partner and I have transplanted trees as, or bushes as high as 20 feet and dig them out, pull them out with our Subaru. So that's, you know, one aspect of working to create a better habitat for the plants all of the plants. By moving one of the plants, it creates more space for everybody. 
as as a person who's trained in shaman uh, energy work, what's your view in transplanting the plants as well? We what before we do it as much as possible, we give give them notice to adjust to pull their life force into uh, their root ball. Um, if it's a very large plant, we will often um, prune the roots by cutting with a spade several feet out from the plant. So it's done with um, communication with the plant. It's, it's that balance we have to walk where, you know, we are working for the humans. We're, we're very lucky in that some of our clients are give us kind of free reign. They will occasionally say, well, I'd like one of these plants. Um, and I'd like to generally ease maintenance, for example, but they'll let us determine how. When that, when we're given that kind of rain, um, we will be asking the plants, okay, you know, do you want to be transplanted? Or, or at least, you know, in the worst case, we'll say we're going to be transplanting you. We'll give, try to give them like we'll be. We're often at gardens once a week, so we'll say one time okay, we're going to be transplanting you next week. Is that going to be enough time for you to prepare? So it's a, it's a conversation where we are equal partners with nature. Working with nature and creating balance in plants through energy, think the exact same with the human population as well? Absolutely. I would actually probably say that um, plants are easier. We humans have far more restrictions we've bought into. Um, you know, it's like when I was growing up, I had the awareness of energy when I was a wee one, but it was socialized out of me. It's very common. I'm sure the same thing was done to my parents. Um, it's how we're taught to function in our culture. So I'm, I'm grateful to see that children or more children perhaps are parents who are willing to, um, nurture them as they are rather than try and mold them into what they think they need to be. Um, that's one of the things I love about the access conscious work I'm involved in now is that it's very oriented toward there's no wrongness in any of us. We are as we're designed to be. And there's even no wrongness in our choices. We can make a choice and if it doesn't work for us, we can change that choice in 10 seconds. The objective of the program? Um, of the access consciousness the objective is that we all know we have choice and that through that choice we can, if we choose, reach for greater consciousness and awareness. Um, in the terms of access consciousness, we define consciousness as allowing everything and judging nothing, which is a little counter to our cultures. Yeah, it is. How are you able to, first of all, access the cons the, the consciousness and second of all, adjust it from one uh, mindset to another mindset? Um, really, this is not something that do. Um, I facilitate the choices that other people would choose. So if somebody says, um, you know, they've got this issue that we're working on, there's a basic body work and access consciousness called the bars. And it's a very simple and potent practice where the person receiving will um, either lie down on a table or on a bed, or I often use a, zero, uh, a recliner or a zero-gravity chair. Um, and you just gently hold points on their head, which enables them to 
um, their higher self, for example, uh, is the way I look at it, their higher self and their body to decide what they're ready to let go of. Now, these um, points, the reason it's called the bars is because there are energetic or electromagnetic bars running between these points that contain the judgments, expectations, and other considerations we have particular topics. So, for example, there's a bar that we call money because by holding those points, we can begin to release all of the judgments and considerations we have about money and how it fits into our world. When you say bars, are these energetic bars or physical bars? Yes, they're energetic bars that run through our brain. And would they be like neural pathways in some way? I would say not quite that physical. Okay, and can you kind of size to so we can understand what the the main objective is? The bar energy. So when I we call it running someone's bars, um, we say worst case you feel like you had a great massage. Best case your whole life changes. Um, it's great for relieving stress. As a matter of fact, some facilitators have been working. Um, the U.S. military and their families. Um, they did a afternoon at Walter Reed Medical Hospital and found that, you know, people experienced, and this was from a mini bars session, uh, like 20 minutes to half an hour rather than the usual hour or more. And they found that um, people who were receiving the bars had a drop in anxiety and stress about 50%, pain about. 35%, I think it was. Uh, there's actually been a neuroscientist who has done studies on what happens in the brain when the bars are run. Um, there is a white paper available um, on the Access Consciousness website, and or people can contact me, and I will see that they get a copy of it. Long-time meditators have said that the bars actually... Um, is as effective for them as their meditation. Um, so it's fascinating to see this very, very simple work and so available. The uh, Access Consciousness is in more than 170 con countries where there are practitioners and facilitators um, and classes taught. How do you connect a, a person or a client to these Access Bar or Access Consciousness? Access Consciousness is the body of work. Um, the consciousness that an individual chooses is entirely their choice. If they are reaching for that and, you know, by running their bars, it's literally just holding points on the side of their head. So there are some of the points, for example, are near the, the edge of the eye. So we'll place our hands, usually a series of points at once, and hold them while the energy runs. And that can feel different for everybody, both not just every person, every receiver and practitioner, but also every session, even with those being the same. So um, run until it feels complete, until you sense it's complete, and then move on to the next ones. Um, some people will feel, you know, if somebody's particularly sensitive to energy, they may feel that the same way that they would experience Reiki. Um, and it does vary. Sometimes it feels kind of like a buzz, an energetic buzz. Um, sometimes it can feel tingling. So, you know, really as anyone would, would express how they experience energy, very likely they'll experience the bars the same way. And some feel absolutely nothing. The, the founder of Access Consciousness 
has said that the first um, six months or so that he ran the bars, um, he didn't experience anything in his hands. Now, because I've been a Reiki practitioner and master for many years, I was used to experiencing energy through my palms. And so the first while after I had been trained in the bars, I wasn't feeling it in my fingers. So I had to sense it different ways. You're talking about the, the points. Is it How are you um, triggering the points? Is it through energy or acupuncture needles? Or how are you accessing it? Um, the points are in basically the same place for everyone. And so that's your, your starting point. We have a chart that shows them. However, most of us actually have um, indentations. Some of them are very subtle and some of them can be quite pronounced. Um, the other thing is once we activate those particular bars, um, the energy kind of draws us in like a tractor beam. Is this something you can do remotely or do you have to be physically there? The preference is certainly to be physically there um, because there are very few of us that receive enough touch in our lives. And outside of this particular program, are there any other programs that you provide? Um, you know, I've been working with people for a lot of years, and one of the things about access consciousness is there's the body work aspect that starts with the bars, and then there are additional body processes. But there's also a great deal of verbal processing. So what sometimes happens is I will do a bar session for a client, and then they may not feel like they need it, like it's time for another bar session, but they may want to have a session for verbal processing, which we can do over the phone. Um, and uh, one of the things that's my favorite service to provide, I call it a co-creative consult. Nature wants to work with us. And anytime we choose to work with nature, be that in a garden or in our business, um, nature is available. They kind of celebrate the opportunity. So in a co-creative consult, I might do healing work, for example, the bars and the, the clearing work that I do with that um, to open a person up to more easily communicate with nature and then instruct them in the coning process, perhaps channel from the nature, from their property or their business um, so that they get a greater understanding of what the business or the farm is desiring to do. And, um, and then work that way to both shift things. Sometimes we'll clear the land um, as well. So we're both shifting things energetically and also giving them the training and skills so that they can carry on more consciously with the earth. Doing this work are the tools that everyone is missing, in your opinion? My perspective is that there are so many different modalities and so many different practitioners because each of us resonates with different people. It's, for, in my perspective, the reason there are so many religions as well is that each of us needs to find the practitioner and the modality, the spiritual tradition that resonates with us. Now, that might change through our lifetime. And we all need to ha uh, choose to work with those that resonate. There's never, um, if somebody causes you to feel heavy um, or dark or very contracted, they're not the person to work with you. If when thinking about doing a particular style of work, you feel expansive and lighter, 
then that's probably true. That's probably the right path for you. Um, you mentioned about the, the words after doing the bars. Do you think the language we choose and speak is very important and how our lives are being constructed? Absolutely. Uh, language is incredibly important. In, in the master's program that I finished in 2014, part of, or actually most of my um, studies were in peace studies coursework that I did. And because of my interest in um, the practices of, of Native American cultures, made it a point to investigate uh, Native American restorative justice. And there is a gentleman by the name of Rupert Ross who wrote books. He was a, a um, prosecutor in First Nations in Canada. And after many, many years in this role, he he wrote some of his experiences. One of the experiences he spoke of was that very often the what we would call the victim wanted to speak in their own language because the Aboriginal languages tend to not have the judgment that our quote-unquote Western cultures do. So if you look at how we speak, it's filled with adjectives and adverbs, largely judgments. You know, even listening to uh, national public radio news, you know, I was listening uh, briefly this morning and they were talking about the devastating from uh, in the Houston, Texas area. And, you know, we're using terms like devastating and horrific um, to describe natural occurrences as well as interactions with each other. Whenever we're judging things, we're cutting off possibilities. So, yes, they're getting a great deal of rain that they're not prepared for in Houston, Texas. But what else is possible? What is it going to bring or what could it bring that could be far more beneficial if we would just be open to the possibilities? And as a, as a shaman and energy worker, is that how you view the instead of the negative words, more of the positive, open words and language? love about access consciousness is they're very oriented um, they work with language a lot and you know the whole right wrong good and bad that we are focused on in our culture in some ways when we judge something is good it's more detrimental than when we judge something is bad because when we judge something is bad we're willing to change it but if we judge something is good we're less likely to be willing to change it so either of those judgments keeps us from reaching for greater possibilities. Why do I think that the either good or bad keeps us from judging for uh, for reaching for greater possibilities? Yeah. Um, well, if you think about it, when somebody is told and buys into you have a really good setup, you know, you've got a great job, a nice husband, a nice home, why would you want to change? When what their heart says so I want to go live in the rainforest because that's where they are called to, yet they're being, you know, and they might even perceive that, you know, yes, this is beautiful here, but it's not for me. So if we are not willing to reach beyond that which we would judge as good, then we can't often reach for that where our greatest possibilities exist. Would that be kind of restricting who we naturally want to be? That's my experience. I mean, I had a great job um, as a senior systems analyst in the defense industry back in 1994. 
one of the best paying jobs in the state of Maine. And um, I chose to leave that because I wasn't happy. I, I knew there was more. I wasn't comfortable with the idea of building destroyers. Um, even though I wasn't doing it directly, it no longer resonated. And so I left that job not having another um, as I was exploring what was next. And, um, you know, my mom, for example, couldn't believe it. You know, many people didn't get why I would leave such a fantastic job, but I knew I needed to. So if we are willing to receive fantastic jobs, relationships, homes, and still be willing to let it go when it's time, you know, that we're not shutting down our possibilities. And yet the, the intensity, people's judgments in our culture as a whole can often be overwhelming for us and keep us from doing what we need to do. It also must have a high level of trust to do something like what you just explained. Well, um, perhaps that's one way of putting it. Um, you know, just knowing when the risk of staying where we're at is greater than the risk of going into the unknown is when we'll usually make movement. Um, I have a great deal of faith, and I differentiate that from trust in that trust is usually based on experience and faith is ex- based on knowing. So frequently I have found myself doing things entirely new to me because my knowing says this is the way to go, and yet I have no quote-unquote practical experience um, to that effect. Yeah, having must having higher level of faith of walking into the unknown, but yet there's a higher internal feeling knowing what is ahead. Sometimes, and sometimes it is a serious void, you know, being willing to be in that space of the unknown, um, kind of like a butterfly in a chrysalis. You know, we don't know next, and yet we can feel we're preparing for something. And are there nudges or uh, cookie crumbs for the individual to know when not kind of jump off the train and go on a different route? I think if we choose to be aware, um, we can, you know, it's always easier, of course, in hindsight. Um, but certainly there has been an indication. The, the simplest indication that each of us has is joy. If we're not feeling joyful, we're not living the life we came to live in my personal perspective. And, you know, that it was actually the primary intention of my graduate thesis work was to teach well-being as a path to sustainability. Because when we're not happy, we make really bad decisions. And so if we listen to the joy within us and we reach for that, that is perhaps the strongest breadcrumbs we'll have. What does joy sound like inside? That's the lightness. You know, for me, um, for any of the listeners who are familiar with Winnie the Pooh, um, I talk about Tigger. You know, when I'm in my joy, I'm a Tigger. And sometimes it's just a deep, deep abiding contentment that this is, it feels right. And sometimes it's the, it has that more enthusiastic, bubbly edge to it. It's different for everyone. And yet each of us knows what it is. When you're in that state, you probably don't question what's ahead, right? It's more of a question of what next. You know, when we stay with the question, we're open to all possibilities. So even if what we're doing right now is exactly, you know, 
what feels like we want to be doing that's going to bring more to our our life and it's joyful we can still be sitting with the question of how does it get better than this and what's next you know so if we stay in those questions we'll always get answers that will lead us to greater possibilities as soon as we make a conclusion that okay i've got this great job and this is where i will stay until retirement we shut down all the possibilities possibilities are probably the universe listening to us asking the same question over and over right that's one way of putting it yeah the you know when we whether it's our higher self whether it's god whatever tradition somebody believes um if you notice if you ask a question and don't think the answer but wait to have the awareness come the responses are quite different you know if i ask my body what it would like to eat but i do it sitting in front of the refrigerator thinking i don't feel like cooking my body's kind of limited because i've already said i'm not going to cook a steak i'm going to eat leftovers if you see what i'm saying where there's if we're truly listening to our awareness i will start sensing that i'm hungry and i'll say okay body do you desire food and if i feel yes then i'll say body what do you desire to eat you know and it might be something i have in it might be that my body desires to go to a restaurant but my body knows what it needs for its greatest harmony and balance how can people identify awareness as well in it to enhance balance in all aspects of life practice and trust i would say are the two best uh, ways to gain that so sometimes we want the flashing neon light that says this is your intuition do this but it's kind of like a shy child you know a shy child might whisper but until you give them permission they're not going to make a lot of noise and play same with our awareness if we are saying that you know how can one of the best questions to ask is how can i be more aware you know and just sit with that for those who are meditators or who pray that could be a good focus and then when you get a sense of you know you find your yourself looking at the umbrella as you're going out the door and you say i don't need the umbrella the forecast didn't call for rain and then 2 hours later you're caught in a rainstorm you had the awareness but you chose to listen to what your brain had picked up on and was thinking about so brain and the body are two different uh thinkers then yeah and i really shouldn't have used the term brain then i should have used mind so my experience is that we have the body and we have our being and our being chooses you know our being is infinite part of the universe um part of god if you would and we incarnate into a body so that we can do what we do in on this planet um if we allow our body to be a full partner with us then the things that specifically impact our body we ask our body about because it knows what it needs um you know anything from food what would we like to drink um where would we like to live who would we like to have sex with all of those things you know is this is this a, a person who would contribute to our life and living is kind of a mutual thing between the being and the body um so it's very much like with nature where we're equal partners and yet 
we access our thinking mind and treat that like it is the predominant force. Why is it the predominant force? Because we choose it to be. When we are willing to be in our awareness, the thinking mind and the ego can be a source of information and a great tool without directing our life. And so it's really kind of going back to listening of what you want to be, who you are, and etc. Exactly. Exactly. And in order to be able to have the skill of listening, is that meditating or going out for a walk in nature, or is it just solely focusing on uh, internally listening? Any and all of the above. Each of us might have a different route. Frequently, we have activities that we call that are called being in the flow. In positive psychology, one of the exercises that increases our well-being is to practice activities that allow us to be in the flow, where um, we'll find ourselves losing track of time and just be in a very open and intuitive space. Musicians will often find this playing music. Gardeners will find it when they're in the garden, where our mind just kind of floats. We know what we're doing, and we're following that, and so we don't have our our thinking mind fully engaged, or conversely, we have our thinking mind very focused on one particular thing, so the rest of us can be aware of other things. Aurora, um, who inspires you to do what you do? I think really it's the children, because I see, you know, I know many of my choices when I was a young adult. Um, I was thinking about the world I was creating for my nieces, nephews, and the other children, and they are our hope. You know, in uh, Native American traditions, we speak of the next seven generations. Um, They are our teachers. You know, to be like a child again means that we're willing to have that awareness and be in tune and in the flow with nature and with spirit. So if we want to live, learn to live a better life, listen to the children. Children don't judge the we want, the very we ones. They learn judgment, you know. Children are focused on what's fun and what's interesting. And if we can do that, we will find ourselves living and working and creating a world that has greater possibilities for everyone. As an adult, how can we um, come back to being a child? Spend time with kids. Don't spend time with kids sharing what we know. Spend times with kids exploring what they know. Very often when we are around kids, as adults, we think we're supposed to be imparting our knowledge and wisdom. Generally, we have a lot more to learn from them than they from us. So really they're teaching us in some way. If we're willing. It's like running bars. Running bars on children is really easy because they don't have all of the judgments and conclusions that we have bought into as adults. And in fact, one of the things I love about access consciousness is that children up through age 15 can learn and can take most of the classes for free. And 16 and 17-year-olds can take them for half price because the founders of access consciousness recognize that children are our future. They're the ones who, who recognize the possibilities we can create together. At what stage of a child's life when the... Um the boundaries and the borders of adult adulthood kick in to be judged or to judge things around us? 
very much depends on um, the people who are raising the child and the child themselves. Um, you know, some of us are very tuned when we, you know, right from the time we're born to not make waves, to fit in, to do what others tell us we need to do. And there are others who are here to be who they are and to, um, you know, if waves need to be made, they're going to make them, make them because they are not however they're made. And some would say it's their astrology and whatever else. Um, it really depends on the child and on the parents. If the parents are wise enough to allow the child to be a child and to help them to maintain that awareness as they grow into adulthood, they don't ever need to lose it. Many in their teenage years, because of the natural tendency to want to fit in and develop those social skills and separate from a uh, family of origin, they will often pull away from that awareness and do what's popular, so to speak. Um, if they have a solid enough basis, they'll come back. They never quite lose it. Aurora, where can we find you? You can find me at my website, spiritsongp&s.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Aurora Walks Gently or email me at auroralksgently at gmail.com. If there was one uh, particular item that you've experienced uh, throughout your journey, your story, your knowledge, and things you have observed, what would it be? I think it's the gift of joy. It really is. I mean, this is why um, I chose to go to graduate school and develop this class, because I saw my dad, who was actually a nurse, die from complications of diabetes, even though he kept saying that he was going to deal with his habits so that he wouldn't go to the next, you know, get off the current medication and go to the next. He didn't have the emotional skills and support to deal with his wounds. So he's been a big inspiration for me to change. Um, and I think that's really for me what it's about is when we learn joy, when we learn that joy has nothing to do with our physical circumstances, it is truly a choice. Then we've got the power to change the world. Happy people are more creative and more collaborative. And let's face it, we'd a lot rather be around and work with and relate with people who are happy. And yet we've created a culture where we bond through our trauma and drama. So why don't we choose differently? Because it is truly just a choice. It takes effort to a degree to change the patterns we've developed. And that's where access consciousness can be a great tool because it makes those changes much, much easier. Aurora, I want to say thank you very much for uh, coming onto the show and sharing what you got to share. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.